And welcome back to Bar Down Breakdown. I'm your host, Mikey Ryan, live from the Hive, joined by my boy, Tommy V, from the land of Disney. Tommy, what is good? What is good? Just, you know, hanging here at the at the Orlando compound, just eating way more fruit snacks than I should. That's just like my MO these days. Just love fruit snacks and, you know, just keeping up with, with all the, the cool music and news that's going on. And just... so You need to tell me what kind of fruit snacks you are eating. And... Right, right now, Welch's. Welch's is, is what's, what's on the docket. They're just delicious. It's reminds me of being an eight-year-old. It's fantastic, you know? Just come in little packages. You rip them open. You get like nine or ten in there. It's fantastic. All right, all right. I respect that. I mean, you know, like, I mean, are there a lot of other adult snacks that you can have? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, salty snacks, like, the, you know, they don't really do it for me that much, you know, and obviously you can, you know, little, little fruit snacks, you know, a little, little chewy, and a little fruity. You know, it's, it's just like the perfect thing, you know, it's the perfect thing to go along with, you know, throwing your headphones on and just like listening to, you know, like some armor for sleep record from like 2004. Cause like, you know, you just, you can't get it out of your head. <laughs> All right, cool. So I guess, um, we can just transition into some hockey news and some, I guess, personal hockey news because, the Carolina Hurricanes have announced that they are not renewing their affiliation with the Charlotte Checkers, and they are going to relocate to the, the and uh, have their affiliate be the Chicago Wolves, Okay, which is just so bizarre to me because the Checkers are top 10 in the AHL in attendance, and then they also, like, are two and a half hours away, so, like, on an emergency basis, they could call people up a lot easier. And it just, it, it kind of bummed me out a little bit because like, I actually do really enjoy the Charlotte checkers franchise. I feel like they do a fantastic job. And, you know, even though they're affiliated with the hurricanes, like I still go to as many games as I can. Yeah. yeah. I have heard, um, some local news reported that, they're in talks with the Florida Panthers. Oh, okay. Like having their affiliate be now in Charlotte. And, uh, Oh, okay. That's cool. I'm sure the owner of my bar will be super pumped because he's a diehard Florida Panthers fan. So I didn't know there were diehard Florida Panthers. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure he's an awesome guy, but it's just like, I didn't, I didn't realize that the Florida Panthers even had like fans like that. Uh, they're just one of those franchises, but, uh, I kind of figured when like, you know, Carolina, like cut ties with them. Like I kind of figured that it was maybe indicative of something, something bigger, or at least not just like a, like a cut and run kind of situation. I'm sure they'll they'll land somewhere. Yeah. I fear, I fear that that could like be the first step in their, their new owner relocating the team out of Raleigh. Oh, wow. Because it just doesn't make sense. Like the, the Charlotte checkers won the Calder cup last season. Like they, are a successful AHL franchise. They're two and a half hours away. Why pick up and go to Chicago? Well, I mean, what's what's close to Chicago that could get a franchise that like doesn't have a franchise? I mean, 
you know, obviously Toronto's got a franchise, Detroit's got a franchise, you know, I mean, Winnipeg's right around there, at least close to there. I mean, the only thing I could think is maybe like, you know, you, you go to like Milwaukee, maybe, I mean, you know, um, but th- that's just the thing. Like, I mean, like if we're talking about the, the Canes, I mean, the Canes have, you know, been, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they've been consistent, but I mean, they've had a couple of good years and they've built some good teams. I, I, I mean, they just got fair weather fans. Like, yes, they've yeah. been successful the last couple of years and like attendance has been better, but you know, you were there in 2015, like, <laughs> yeah, it was a rough was one. Yeah. A quarter full. So like, I, I think the, the new owner doesn't have necessarily ties to Raleigh, North Carolina or North Carolina sure. in general. So okay. when you pick up a, a franchise, you you kind of have like an egocentric personality where you want to be like in a big city. You want to be a Mark Cuban. You want to be like yeah. a, a famous owner. And you're just mm-hmm. not going to get that being in Raleigh. I, I guess you're right. But I mean, like when I think about it at the same time, like what what where else can you go in it? Let's let's just look at the the United States. I mean, obviously. You know, Quebec is is itching for a you know a franchise in you know in Canada again. But I mean, like, where where else could you go that like would be a big a big city? I mean, like every big city like that I could think of, or at least relatively, already has like a franchise. You know, like your your bigger northeast cities. You know, I mean, the only thing I could think is maybe like you know if there's some untapped place out in the Midwest or or something like that. But like other than like Milwaukee. Or um, I'm trying to think of where else, like uh, Indianapolis, maybe. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Like, this is just yeah. me, like pontificating. I yeah, get it. I try, get it. Trying I'm, to think and like trying to reason why he would do such a thing. And the other crazy thing too is like, you know, like I, I, I really, and I don't have much perspective there, but like, I still can't believe that like the the Coyotes like still have a like a franchise. Yeah. Like, I mean, are, are there games like I can't imagine their games are well attended. I mean, you barely hear any any musings, you know, or any rumblings from them. And I mean, like, it's just like it seems like that place would be dead, you know? Yeah, I, I hope that I can get there before they do any like change over. But, you know, they're they're from what I've heard from people that have gone to games in Arizona, like it is a, an awesome atmosphere, like the whole like area around the arena is top-notch like you know and this is coming from my old roommate in college ace who like is not really a hockey fan and he Mm -hmm. told me how awesome it was so like i i i respect that because he's like i said not a big hockey fan and uh i i I don't know i I think that there are a lot of transplants in arizona that Mm, hockey can can like work and then you got people like austin matthews coming up and being like superstars in the NHL out of Arizona. So like there's clearly a youth hockey program that's strong there. So I feel like it just sometimes takes a little time. And I I, I think Arizona is going to work like, you know, just like Tampa Bay works, just like Vegas works. Like Arizona is going to be all right. Uh, Raleigh, so North Carolina, much, yeah. like is just like where the arena is, is awful. Like, God, it, yeah, it, no, I, that's true. That is true. It's just not great. And Raleigh's a cool city. Like, I don't know why they didn't try to get in downtown Raleigh, but mm-hmm. 
it is what it is. But I just wanted I mean, to bring that up yeah. because that was like local AHL news that broke the other day. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I guess just, as we're talking about like new franchises and, and affiliations moving. Wait, I had, I had a way I had a way better transition than I wanted to try. <laughs> All right. All right. So, it, Mikey, it seems like you're a little worried about losing your home team, huh? They're not my home team. Hell no. But I mean, they're the home team. That for I North get to watch. Carolina. The, yeah, that I get to watch the Islanders at two times a year for sure. But I mean, you know, you, you never really want to see the home team go anywhere. <laughs> that is true. And it seems like and it seems like we're going to be talking to the home team. And that's specifically uh, Daniel Matson from the home team. That's our interview that we've got coming up. Uh, we chat with Daniel about uh, his band, the, the home team. Uh, they're out of Seattle. Uh, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, all things Seattle, Casey Bates. Uh, we talk about, you know, the prospect of, uh, you know, having a, a team come through Seattle, obviously in, in the, in the coming years. And uh, it was really awesome getting to talk to, um, to, to Daniel about, uh, you know, playing drums and all the cool experiences he's had. And, uh, you know, their, their home on revival records, their record that, uh, they had released a couple of years back and what they've got going on. Uh, but we're really, really super cool. Um, you know, it's always great to get to talk to, you know, someone in a band that's not necessarily like the, the most humongous band in the world, but you can definitely, you know, hear his humility. And, uh, I think they've got super, super big things uh, coming on the horizon. So, um, that's what we got going on. I think my transition was going to be better. So I hope you use mine. If I hear that mine was edited out, uh, we're going to have a problem, but that's okay because sometimes you got to acquiesce and do it. So I hope you guys enjoy our interview with uh, Daniel Matson from the home team and uh, right into it. Open up those right. eyes of yours enjoy. to show me what's been hiding underneath. Oh, if it's games you want, you'll get the best of me. Our boy Daniel Matson of the home team. Daniel, what is happening? How are you, man? Traffic in Seattle, no joke. You know, it's it's what I've heard, and even during a pandemic, no joke. So uh, I feel your pain, dude. Dude, literally, like the th- of all the places we've been on tour, I'd say Seattle is the third worst traffic to deal with. And I think, like. New York City number one, L.A. number two, Seattle number three. That's that's my experience. Yeah, and you know the thing with New York is it's like it's not just like Manhattan. Like if you've ever played in like Brooklyn or yeah. you know even like Long Island, like the traffic is always terrible. 
the thing with New York, like in Manhattan specifically, is like traffic is terrible, but it's a lot of um, like aggressive drivers and like taxi cabs and stuff. So like if you don't have your wits about you, especially like when you're trying to drive like a van, you know, through all of that nonsense, like you got to like you got to be like as sharp as a tack, man, or else like a taxi cab is just going to like just like drive under your van and shoot it into the sun. I don't know what the hell they do, but they, they do it. Dude, the last time we were in New York, we were, so we played in Brooklyn, but we were in, I, no, actually that's a lie. The last time we were in New York, we played in Manhattan and I saw the most aggressive, most ridiculous driving I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was a four, like an eight lane road. So like four lanes going each way. Mm-hmm. We were like in the far right. And a dude from the other direction cuts off four lanes of traffic, just goes straight across to try and parallel park on the opposite side. I could not fucking believe the balls on this guy. And then after uh, he couldn't get in, he and his girlfriend get out of the car and start screaming at us like it's our fault that he just cut across four lanes of traffic and uh, he couldn't go anywhere. It shit blew my mind. Absolutely, man. That's that's the that's that's New York in a nutshell, man. If you like, you can't get your mysterious four lane park job done. You just instinctively get out of your car and start yelling at someone because it just makes your ineptitude make sense. (laughs) So, dude, it's it's that's reality. It really is. So enough about traffic. Let's talk some hockey. <laughs> yeah, man. No, so let let me just uh, kind of give our listeners some backstory. So, like, um, we played the home team going out of our our last episode actually, because even though you guys aren't a new band per se, you're new to Tom and I, and like, mm-hmm. I hate to even consider you guys a new band because you're getting over a hundred thousand streams a month on Spotify. Like, those are huge numbers, and like. When I listened to you guys, it was actually uh, through the Pop Punk's Not Dead playlist on Spotify. I came across you and like, you know, I, sometimes I'm just like skipping through songs until something catches my ear. And you guys definitely caught my ear. And I was like, man, this sounds like like Panic at the Disco when they still sounded like Panic at the Disco. Like <laughs> it was yep. just so fucking awesome. And like I I had to like do some research and figure out who the hell you guys were. And like, you know. Tom and I, we always joke about how old we are. So, like, you, I'm, I'm assuming that you guys have fans that are younger than, you know, 33 years old, like Tom and I. So, <laughs> you know, it was, it's just awesome to chat with you and the, to hear that the, the scene is still kicking it in Seattle. So, you know, super excited. Hell yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the best things about the Spotify playlists is they do all the hard work for you. And so you can just find new bands super easily. Um, it It's kind of a crazy sign of the times, but like literally every show we play, when kids come up to the merch booth, um, we at, we if it's someone that we've never seen before, um, we'll just ask like, hey, where did you hear about us? Like, where did you find out about us? Um, and over half the time, people say like, oh, I saw you, you know, on Spotify. You popped up on, you know, a random playlist on like my Discover Weekly, or I saw you on, you know, Pop Punk's Not Dead. Uh, so. It, it like it's a it's one thing to see like the monthly listener number like keep growing and getting bigger it's another to see that actually translate to people coming out like they hear the music they like it enough to come see us at a show and then like buy a shirt so it's it's just wild that like that's the way the music industry has shifted now 
Now, yeah, Spotify is a great thing. Um, you know, I was I was just gonna real quick add like it like a I, I should have like a segment called like a like back in my day, like <laughs> just like you know holding my like my gramophone and my cane here, but like so Spotify makes it so easy to find new artists because you know it gives you recommendations based on uh, recommendations based on what other people listen to you and and you know uh, similar sounds and that kind of stuff. But like back when I was like really getting heavily into this music, man, like the only thing that existed was like mp3.com and like, like, and like compilation CDs. Like that's how like I got into new music. Like I'll never forget. Like I, um, I, uh, I got a equal vision records sampler from like 2003. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how I found out about uh, this band called Circa survive, you know, yep. like, and like, you know, I got like, and like I would go on to mp3.com and like that's how I found out about acceptance, you know, speaking of, you know, like Seattle. Mm-hmm. So like so so it's like kind of one of those crazy things where like I wish I had these tools at my disposal. And also maybe I don't because like I was a huge music nerd when it took all of this time to find new stuff. So now that new stuff is so easy to find, it's like I, I can't imagine, you know, like how my brain would react then. But it's just so funny because um I used to pride myself in like having like a knack for that kind of thing, but now it's just everybody has it. And and that's a good thing because now everyone can get exposed to more music, but it almost like, you know, puts all of my hard work to shame. So it kind of bums me out, I guess. Yeah. I'm like, so I'm 29. Um, so I remember in 2002, 2003. So like, well, I guess that's when I was in middle school. Yeah. Um, I remember though that was when I first started getting physical, like, compilation cds yeah and i remember there there's one compilation it was like um i think it was sessions records they were a snowboarding company so they made like snowboarding clothes but they also had like a label associated with it um they had like a a compilation cd that i literally don't i couldn't tell you any of the bands i never followed up with any of them you know i was Mm -hmm. I was 12. It was just the, <laughs> the the beginning of, you know, getting into that style of music. Yeah, yeah. But I jammed that one CD with like, you know, 17 different punk bands and hardcore mm-hmm. bands on it just on my uh, you know, like in my CD player on yep. car rides from, you know, like to hockey practice uh, after school. So like there you go. that that was one of the early things for me in the like the the comp CD scene. But then when I really got into like actually searching for my own music um pure volume and myspace had come up yeah so those were the big things i remember freshman year of high school right before the ipod like the second or third ipod came out like when it was still in like it's super early adopter phase yep i had an mp3 cd that i made oh yeah i remember those yeah exactly so like I, I put, you know, 150 MP3s onto one CD and I had a special MP3 CD player. Um, and it was like half those bands were like, were just trash. Like it, you know, it was just not good garage recordings, but it was like in the style that I was, you know, getting into. There was, you know, there was like there was sad stuff. There was fast mm-hmm. punk beats, you know, sure. screaming, but it's still like mixed in with there. There were lots of bands that ended up doing stuff. So like acceptance was on there um you know bear versus shark there were like two or three songs on there so there were so there were a lot of bands that were on the like on the rise and eventually kept going and mixed with a lot of 
garage recording, not very good. But at the time, you know, I was 14. It was all new to me and every, everything sounded good. Yeah. And that's another kind of interesting thing to, to bring up. So like, you know, you talk about like um, bands that are that were like first starting, like, let's say in the in the mid 2000s or even like the early 2000s. Right. Where like you like that's the style of like first EP or first like record you'd make. Like it would be like abysmal sounding tinny like garage or like your buddy recorded it in his basement like you know the first band i was ever in like the first recordings we did they were just god awful they were so bad um but compared to now like now there's so much you could do like with an at-home garage band set up and all the different presets and plugins you could use like you could be a band that's just starting out with like basically no gear and you could make like a decent sounding record like 15 years ago like you just couldn't do that like you didn't have the resources and if like you wanted to go to like a studio studio like you were literally like saving your lunch money every day and it just wasn't happening so i think that's another cool thing that is different now than it was then like if you have the itch and you're like you know what i want to make some music like you just got to like get yourself a copy of garage band like get a decent you know like input controller and then you're off to the races where like back in the day like I was in my buddy's basement and he was recording like through like a, like an ox jack. And it was just like absolute <laughs> anarchy. But I think, things I think everybody, you know? dude, everybody has from their, from, you know, their early middle school, high school bands, everyone has one or two things on their, uh, on iTunes of like, you know, home demo song two dot yeah. MP3. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Dot WMA or whatever nonsense, <laughs> man. But uh, I I think I I do really think that, again, that's a great thing for the music industry that like you can just like be creative and like you don't have to just do like, you know, like a Windows 95, like voice recorder demo. Like you could really, you know, kind of gussy things up and, uh, you know, it kind of gives you the freedom to be a little bit more creative, which I think is awesome. Uh, So, you know, at least. Nowadays, you know, there's there's more content and it's easier to listen to it because it doesn't sound like it's in a tin can. Oh yeah, to- totally agree. Um, there there's an interesting idea that's kind of opposite to that. Have have you guys heard the theory of like the of how Guitar Center ruined rock music? <laughs> I, I it, please elaborate because I could I could see where this is going and I love it. So 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 basically the the idea is that you know in the like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, to be like a real rock band took a lot of like time, energy, and money. So yeah. like you couldn't just go, you know, buy like nobody just went and bought a guitar and just started just playing. Like you had to go to a like a specialty guitar shop, find you know, spend time researching stuff, you know, actually like get the instrument, and it mm-hmm. wasn't just super easy. Yeah. But you know, Guitar Center started selling the dream of like anyone can be a rock star. And then, you know, once they started making guitar more accessible to everyone, all of a sudden it's not as hard to start a garage band. It's not as hard to like start working towards the dream of becoming a like, you know, a rock musician. Sure. Um, and then couple that with the advent of, you know, home recording on the internet, all of a sudden anyone can go out and do it. That's no, that's not to say everyone is just gonna sit down and you know make like making a good song is still hard. Um but the idea is that because Guitar Center opened up like rock instruments to yeah. be so easy to access, mm-hmm. um, they just flooded the market with tons of people who can now spend a little bit of time and put out a product. 
thus making the this like creating the stigma behind oh i play in a band like, yeah okay that's that's the idea absolutely no and and i i mean to a to a degree i absolutely agree with that i mean it's like it was kind of a um you know going through you know the motions like it was kind of a rite of passage you know like you really had to like you know like you had to scratch and save to get like decent gear and like you know a lot of stuff wasn't as easily available like you look at like um stuff like uh you know i'm I'm getting a little techie nerdy here but like you know like like line six stuff right i mean where like you literally have like you know you could buy like a combo amplifier that's just like like want to sound like the beatles like here's this preset you want to sound you know like led zeppelin here's this preset like you want to sound you know like uh like nirvana did on nevermind here's a preset and like that's awesome that's cool but like it takes out of it the whole idea of like what those guys did. Like, you know, there's like no doubt that like when Nirvana was recording, never mind. like I guarantee, you know, Kurt and Chris, you know, were probably toiling over, you know, how they wanted their, their sound to be and how they wanted their distortion to be and how they wanted this and that to be. And it's just like, now you could just click a button and it just like cables all that right into you. So it's like, you don't really have to work for it. So I, I could see that side of it for sure, where it's just like, you could do all this stuff, you could be creative, but like you didn't really work towards it. So like, is that creativity stifled or is it just adding, you know, to someone's ability to kind of make and create and not have to worry about that kind of stuff. So, I mean, like I, I'm divided, but I I get it. I really do. I mean, yeah, there's, there's arguments to be made on both sides. Uh, I personally think it's, you know, it's a great thing that we all have so much access to, musical instruments and to music in general but i mean you know it at a a certain like macro level it does kind of water things down and there's you know a billion bands there's you only have so much attention for uh for music so it makes it harder to reach that like you know led zeppelin acdc like superstar status just because Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist anymore exactly but i think the the one good good other thing and and then i i promise we'll We'll jump into some hockey talk because I know Mikey is probably like, yo, this guy needs to shut his his mouth. But um, like the other cool thing about it is like, let's say you are like a new band just starting out. Right. And like you've got all of this at your disposal. And like, let's say you listen to a Wonder Years record or like a State Champs record. And as a band starting out, you're like, whoa, like, how do I get to sound like that? And then like you find all these like presets and you can kind of, you know, put out some music or create some music that sounds like that. So then like you got your your foot on the first step and you're like, okay, I did this, but like, like now I want to do this. And then you start kind of the wheels start turning and you start going down the different wormholes. And all of a sudden, like that bass that you made, you've built upon it. And now you maybe want to be like, okay, well, you know, this is their guitar sound. Like I kind of want it to sound a little bit like this because like I had listened to this. And then all of a sudden now you're really kind of cooking. So I, I like that aspect of it. Uh, in so much that, you know, like a, a younger band that's just starting can have a kind of like a like a book of work to like almost be proud of so they don't have to like sit there like I did, you know, recording just absolute dog shit. And then just like when I finally got into like a real studio and like recorded something that I considered to be good, it was like a culmination of sorts, but it like took all of this like exhausting work to get there. Um, yeah. So, I mean. Either either way you look at it, I think it's it's good things for the music industry for sure. Agreed. Now, Daniel, um, we we've spent a lot of time just reminiscing about recording and how how it's changed. But 
you know, for the listeners, can you tell us like how the home team came about and like your your you know rise to get to this point where you're having these crazy streams and going out on on tour with like Don Bracco and sleep on it like you know that's a pretty solid tour so like how did you guys go from starting out and then getting to this point totally so the home team started uh we officially started the band in 2013 um my guitarist John and I started writing actually let's say he he wrote a couple demos in like 2009 or so like literally he wrote he wrote some songs tabbed them out on guitar pro like a midi tabbing program um sent them to me and we were playing in a melodic hardcore band at the time called open fire uh, that did a, a little bit of touring um but it was like kind of in the early days of the ghost inside and misery signals and it prevails it was like kind of in that scene okay um so he wrote a couple we wrote a couple songs uh and then our separate metal bands kind of started touring more and took most of our attention. And so we basically from like 2010 till 2012, we were both touring a lot in our, in our heavier bands. Um, then after, you know, around to the end of 2012, uh, we started talking again and the idea of, you know, starting doing a pop punk band came back up. And so we decided to you know, like actually sit down and you know write out, write, finish writing the songs, get everything going. Um, at this point, we had already both started and like done an like a whole band from start to finish. Um, so we kind of already we had made a bunch of mistakes. We knew how to get a band going. We knew what things not to do. Um, we already had like connections to you know get in in a with a good producer and actually go record something that sounded good. Um, so in 2013, we recorded a five song EP with, uh, an older singer. We did one tour with him and that EP and, um, it ended up not working out. So we moved on from him. Um, then like six or eight months later, uh, then we got our singer, Brian, who funny enough was actually the first person to ever buy a copy of our original EP on Bandcamp. So he was already a fan and then we tried him out. Uh, he ended up joining and now here we are. But there's a ton of years in between that and then your debut LP. Like you guys definitely like grinded it out and were working at the home team before, you know, your 2018 first full length, right? For sure. So Brian joined in like 20, like end of 2014 or so. Um, then we recorded four songs with him. So we did like a, a small EP. Um, so we did four songs with Brian and we were touring. He was in college at the time. So the rest of us had all graduated. Um, so he was, but Brian was still in college and he was living like 90 miles away. So it was like close enough to where when we had a show, you know, he could, he would come down and practice, but like he wasn't coming down to practice every, like, you know, every weekend or anything. Um, so we were basically touring around his school schedule. So we would go and just do like, I would just go book DIY tours, spring break, um, beginning of summer, end of summer. Uh, and then occasionally we do something in the winter, but mostly we do like three to four tours a year, just going out and grinding, playing, you know, wherever we could play lots of house shows, lots of like VFW halls, the occasional actual venue. 
Um, but we released that EP in like end of 2015. Um, kept on touring. We and the thing is, we never stopped touring. So like, even though we ju- we just did our first full US last year, um, we as a band we've done like I don't know 15 tours, um, just mostly on the West Coast because the idea was tour the West Coast over and over and over again until people gave a shit basically. <laughs> Um, and then we recorded, we started recording better off our full length in the end of 2016 is when I recorded drums for that, um, finished it during 2017. And then we literally sat on that record, shopping it around to labels, uh, for like eight months, just waiting for someone to, to bite. Uh, and then eventually someone did. Um, and in July of 2018, we put out that, we put out that record, um, and then toured afterwards pretty hard on that. All right. So now it all makes sense. But now like, you know, you mentioned that you're 29 and like, Mm -hmm. you know, all pretty much when you think about like a band getting out and getting their first like full length together and then like ready to hit tour, it's like in their early to mid twenties, but now you're coming around to your late 20s like almost early 30s like yep. and you're about to like start like heavily touring like is that weighing hard on you um i'm pretty fortunate that my work is really flexible and a lot of it is done remotely so it's it's not a big deal for me um really my timeline is based around brian because brian our singer is 25 um, so for me, like the, the home team's probably the last real band that I'm going to do. Um, I, I just can't imagine, you know, being 31 and starting a band from scratch and going through that, all that again. Um, but basically as long as Brian is still into it, I'm still into it. Um, it's, you know, obviously it's, it's never been about like the money for me because if it was about money, I'd do literally anything else. <laughs> Music is uh, about the least lucrative passion you could have. Um, but I'm, I'm super fortunate. You know, my all through high school and college and in my 20s, my family was super supportive of me pursuing music. Um, like I, I lived at home until last year, until like I was 29. And um, my girlfriend and I just bought a house uh, at the beginning or at, I guess at the end of last year. Um, so, you know, that's another factor that weighs in on it. I have a mortgage to pay now. Uh, so some some real responsibilities. But my girlfriend is super supportive uh, of, you know, of the band as well. And I mean, I, I honestly don't see un, until it gets to the point where I'm, you know, the band pays you zero dollars and I can't work and I can't make any money. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we can't afford to pay the mortgage. Then maybe we'll. uh we'll cross that road. But for now, things are going pretty well. Um, the band doesn't make any money, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so I have a question, just, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, the first thing I, I want to mention, just to see if I can get out a, a rise out of Mikey, is Mikey, do you know who produced Better Off? Shit. Is it Casey Bates? Is it someone it like... It sure is Casey Bates. <laughs> is it really? You love yeah. Casey Bates. I do fucking love Casey Bates. <laughs> that's um, dude. like dude that was just a shot in the dark i was like 
It's either going to be him or Aaron Sprinkle because we talked about Aaron Sprinkle on the last episode. But that's awesome. Kate, Casey was literally like my dream producer. Like the the big bands for me when I was in high school, there were three Seattle bands that played here a ton and kind of popped off. It was a uh, Daphne Loves Derby. Oh hell yeah! Forgive, yep, Forgive Durden. Boom. Yep. And, and this Providence. Oh, dude, yeah. I thought you were going to say Gatsby's American Dream. You totally well, lost all my respect now. <laughs> I mean, Gatsby's was a little bit more on the, you know, alt side. They, they weren't really, they were in the emo scene, but like these were the emo like bands. Um, Gatsby's was one of the first shows that I ever saw. Dude, uh, so at one jealous. Of our, yeah, at one of our teen centers here. But like when I was in high school, Every Friday and Saturday night, there are three teen centers in like in, in the suburbs that I lived in, and there'd be a show every Friday, Saturday, like at one of those spots. And I can't count the number of times I saw, um, you know, this Providence, Daphne, and Forgive Durden. Um, so th- those are bands that even to this day, like I still listen to those CDs. But Casey, okay. Casey produced. Um, I don't know if he did Forgive Durden, but he did this Providence and Daphne for sure. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, in my mind, it was one of those, one of those dudes where I always thought, you know, man, if I ever get like a real record deal and we have some money, like I want to record with Casey Bates. Um, and sure enough, uh, he hit us up when we, it's probably 2016, like mid 2016, he hit us up and he was like, Hey, I was looking around local bands in Seattle. I saw Pound Your Guys EP. I really liked it. Let's, you know, let's have a meeting. So he, he came out and saw us. Uh, we opened for the like the Rocket Summer. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> so we we played like one date opening for them. Uh, I guess him, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and then he came out and saw us. We had like lunch the next day and just talked about you know what the recording process would look like. Um, so we went and we recorded drums at like a super small studio, like not a big time place. It's like the, the name of the place was Uber Beats. Probably the worst name of a studio ever. Um, but it was just like some dude who rents out a couple practice spaces to people, but really just has a lot of money and gear and wanted to like set up his own little studio. So Casey knew the guy and would rent out the drum room just for the day. Um, and then we recorded everything else just at his house in his like home studio. Um, and he, he just happened to live like 10 minutes from where I grew up. So it was just super easy to get to. That's awesome. That's so great. Now, uh, it's hold on. I have to ask yeah. because you 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 mentioned Daphne loves Derby. Were yeah. you also a Wolftron fan? You know, I never got into Wolftron. Um, I I love Daphne loves Derby. Like, they're I'd say my second favorite Seattle band. Um, number one is Minus the Bear, which I know you were you mentioned earlier. Yes, sir. Which I have a very good minus the bear story too, uh, but I never really liked Wolftron. Uh, I thought it was a little bit more of the out there kind of orchestral stuff that I thought was okay. Um, but Daphne, I mean, basically anything that Kenny Choi sings, I I'm, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's 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 got a he's got a beautiful voice. Uh, it, I definitely want to hear your minus the bear story, but I do have one more thing I just want to get some insight about. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you linked up and played a couple of dates on that, uh, that Don Broco tour. Um, 
how'd that come about? Like how, cause I, I was looking over, I guess the tour post and you guys played, uh, what is it? I think like four or five of the East coast States. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So h- how did that come about? How'd you, you know, be able to link up with them? And, uh, and what was it like playing like a sold out show at, uh, at Gramercy? Um, okay. So first of all, playing Gramercy sold out, like that was the first time I've ever had one of those experiences where I'm like, why am I here? Like, yeah. I think, I think these people think I'm like cooler than I am. So we, we, we were always, we were joking on that whole run that we're like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think everyone realizes that we're just a glorified local band. Like, I think they think we're sicker than we are. Um, but pl- dude, playing Gramercy was unreal. I really hope that that's not the last time I get to play there because mm-hmm. it is kind of one of those nights that just like everything was a blur. It just went it just went by super fast yeah um but it was it was pretty surreal playing a venue that old and historic um with like looking out to that many people Mm -hmm. um so how we got on the tour so we were trying to get the opening slot uh, for the whole run um that was that was something that our management and our booking agent were working on for a while um one of our managers is a uh, tour manager for dance gavin dance oh wow and, okay that's cool yeah and um broco had just done like a support slot for a dance gavin dance tour right before that um so we get, went out and met them when they played in seattle and met the band and just shot the ship for a little bit um and so we were trying to get the opening slot on the whole tour uh basically they you know right before the tour got announced they hit us up and they're like hey guys you know we had to go with someone else um but we'll definitely think about you on the next one we were like all right that sucks i'm bummed i'm still gonna go see you know the seattle date because they're don broco is like my favorite band right now um but then a couple weeks later uh we found out that trash boat who was one of the supporting or who they, they were the direct support um they they're like or they're like I think e like a European headliner that they were doing. Um, that tour overlapped with the Broco dates by a couple. So right. they had like the first four dates, there were only three bands on the tour package. So they, you know, Broco's management team hit us up and they're like, hey, four dates just opened up if you guys want to make it. Um, so we drove all the way from fucking Seattle, uh, played like two routing dates out played four dates on that tour and then drove back home. And I think we profited a hundred dollars at the end of all that, which was pretty fucking like that, that works out. (laughs) (laughs) But we had to like, because it was such short notice, like we didn't have time to make like to, to work things out with all of our work, because usually if we, you know, we, book a tour three four months ahead of time and so we can you know get time off with work and kind of rearrange our schedules we didn't have time to do that so we ended up having two guys drove from seattle to chicago and two of us flew out um then so that we didn't have to quit our jobs basically so we each took like a couple days off flew out played the dates and then we swapped so the two guys that drove out the first time flew back home to get back to work. And then the other two of us drove back. Um, so we ended up like after like paying for flights and everything, I think we profited a hundred dollars, which, <laughs> which was pretty fucking wild. 
Yeah, I, that's that's wild. And it's funny, you know, Broco is one of those bands that like um, I'd gotten into their their first record priorities a lot, and then yep. um, the like the the next two. Um, I, it, they kind of flew by me, I guess, in in a way. So maybe I got to go back and revisit them. But I remember just like not loving the newer two as much as I had loved Priorities. But um, I know that they were like one of those bands that like I'd always lumped them together with like other like uh, you know, bands from across the pond, like uh, like you know Broco, Lower Than Atlantis, like those kind of like bands that like don't really come over to the states very often. So that must have been super cool, um, you know, to obviously get to um, you know play with them and uh, you know the exposure you guys got um did you find that like on those couple of dates like did you sell a decent amount of merch did a lot of people kind of approach you and be like hey this is like you know this set was awesome like you know where can i find you where can i see you guys you know kind of deal dude the response that we got was way better than we expected like like i knew you know we're playing to you know five six hundred people a night there's going to be some people that like us um but it was it we did we got a really good response Awesome. every single night um i mean mer- like merch was good it was like we we sold merch that was great yep um i don't think we we sold like you know an amount that would blow anyone's head off or anything yeah. like it was it, it was good but you know people are obviously there for the headliners and they sure. you know they they all bring their money to buy broco stuff um mm-hmm. and that that's just like that's just what support slots are um but i think the one of the most surreal parts is it was like literally every you know every morning we'd wake up and we'd look at our social media and we'd see like you know a hundred new Twitter followers, a hundred new Instagram followers. That's awesome. It's like all from that night. Yep. Um, and w- one of the coolest parts. Uh, so our name was on the like on like the whole flyer, right? Even though mm-hmm. we didn't play the whole tour, yeah. um, we started like we kept seeing people you know following and you know our like our stream numbers go up and everything. Um, throughout the whole tour because people thought we were like, you know, they thought that we were one of the bands that played, even though we were actually there playing. Uh, so they um, were like trying to stream this and be like, Oh, let me like, just, you know, listen to them a little bit and kind of see what they're all about. And then probably be bummed that they didn't get to see you. Exactly. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause like for, for myself, I don't usually find myself going out and like stream, you know, if, if I see a show coming through, like, I don't always, go and like stream what the other bands are that Mm -hmm. like that I've haven't heard before. I usually just go experience it live, but that is like, was super common because there were lots of people who came up to us and they were like, I had never heard of you, but I saw, you know, John Broke is my favorite band or sleep on. It's my favorite band. And I saw your name on the flyer and I went and listened and now I love you guys. Um, and so that was, that was pretty fucking cool to, to see every night. Hell yeah, man. Now, Daniel, um, you know, 2018, you, you put out your, 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 your full length. What are you yep. guys working on now? Because, you know, it's 2020, you got a few years in between that, you know, you got that sophomore full length that, you know, a lot of bands sometimes dread because of coming off of like such a, you know, hot release that gained a lot of traction and whatnot. Yeah, man. Uh, I really hope we don't hit the sophomore slump. Um, yeah, or, we're we're in the early stages of writing the next record. Um, it's you know it's all demo stuff at this point. Um, the the whole you know stay at home order thing has slowed us down a little bit. But we're we meet up for like we do like a Google Hangout session a couple times a week um, just so we can all like talk and you know talk through new songs. We're like kicking demos around and stuff. Um, but 
So we're we're working on LP2. Uh, no real idea yet when we're going to actually get around to recording it because you're not supposed to be leaving your house all that much. Of course. <laughs> um, but there is, we're working on LP2. It is, uh, I would imagine, sometime in 2021 that will be ready to go. Sweet, sweet. Now, speaking of 2021, um, so you guys are in a band called The Home Team. Yeah. Uh, and Seattle is about to get a home team. So um, look at that transition. And, and Shit. Right. Isn't that great? Dude. I'm, wow. They should, dude, they should. I should be on like CBS. I should be on the nightly news or some shit. So did you write um, that beforehand or did you just come out? <laughs> no, that's off the cuff. Um, so what, you know, what is your insight? Like what, what are you hoping, you know, that kind of uh, comes to fruition with the Seattle team? You know, what are you, what are your expectations? I mean, are you, you, you must be, you know, that you played hockey, you know, all throughout, you know, being young and stuff, you must be so stoked that you're getting, you know, a team that'll represent you. So just what's your insight? What are you kind of thinking about it? So first off, I have a question for you guys. Did they confirm that Kraken is the name? No, it's, it's, it's like, they still, still confirmed it. Still rumors, but like, I don't know. It, it, they seem pretty, pretty spot on the rumors. Yeah. I've so seen. personally, I think Kraken would be fucking sick. Uh, I think that is a super cool name. Um, apparently not everyone in Seattle agrees with me. Uh, but you know, the Seattle hockey scene is pretty big. Um, I'm I'm honestly surprised we haven't had an NHL team earlier. Um, like when we, when we first got our MLS team, the Sounders, uh, people said the same thing, you know, they said like, Oh, you know, Seattle's not a soccer town. Um, but the Sounders, you know, they've, they've won multiple MLS cup championships, um, and now like the town, uh, like is really embraced the sport. Um, I think the same thing is going to happen with the hockey team, especially having the Canucks as like the obvious rival up North. Sure. Um, I can't wait for the, for the Seattle team to actually come, um, a, a group of guys on my, on one of my men's league teams already bought already like went in on the season tickets. Oh, um, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, because you could like buy your place in line, so you put a deposit down, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like uh, th- there's a some tickets available in my um, in my men's league team. Um, but I'm I'm psyched. Actually, the house that I just bought is very close to where the new like practice facility is going to be, uh, and so I'm mostly psyched that I'm going to have a rink that our, our league is probably going to play at like five. Yeah, there you go. House. Awesome. Now you didn't grow like obviously you didn't grow up a Seattle hockey you know fan because there was no team. So who is the team that you rooted for as you were growing up? I have been a Philadelphia Flyers fan my entire hockey loving life. Now how does that happen? <laughs> so the way that I got into hockey is like most people my age, I would imagine. Like I saw D two the Mighty Ducks and. I was like, that's it. I'm playing hockey. That's that's what I want to do. I told my mom, like, sign me up for ice skating lessons. I want to play hockey. Um, the way that I got into the Flyers, kind of a kind of a silly story. I had just like a box of trade, like sports trading cards that I think I got as like from a garage sale or something. And I knew two NHL logos. I knew the Red Wings and I knew the Mighty Ducks from the movie. Um, and in that box of cards, 
there was a uh, John LeClaire card from the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Flyers logo is kind of like the Red Wings logo. Um, different colors, but it's same, you know, same kind of shape. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I think I was probably eight or so, you know, seven or eight. And one day I went to my dad and just said, hey, dad, who is this? Like, what team is this? And he was a computer guy. So he had we always, we had computers in our house from a really early age. Um, so he looked it up online, told me it was the Philadelphia Flyers, and that became my favorite team. And that's just what I've stuck with for like 22 years. I was hoping you were going to say that you were a Flyers fan because Goldberg was also, also a Flyers fan. That's funny. I forgot about that, but you're right. He he definitely was a flyer. He was from Philly, I remember. Yeah, that would have been just a ridiculous story. Like, yeah, lifelong Flyers fan, just because, you know, Goldberg was. <laughs> no, I literally had a John LeClaire card, and he was my favorite player, uh, you know, because of that. Um, I picked my, my number in hockey, um, so I've always been number 11. I picked that number because John LeClaire was number 10, and so when I'd play, like, you know, NHL 2000 on my computer, I couldn't be number 10 because I was creating, like I was adding my character into the flyers. So I chose the next number up, which was 11. Look at that. Now was LeClaire your first like Jersey that you ever purchased? You know, I don't think I ever actually bought a real NHL Jersey. Like I had, I had a bunch of like the practice jerseys, but I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually owned like a real NHL sweater because they were always more expensive and I couldn't wear them. Like, you can't really go wear the ones you buy over gear. So I just bought like the practice ones so I could go wear them when I, you know, when I actually went to practice. Um, I think I had like one Canucks, so I think I had a Canucks sweater and a, and a Blackhawks sweater because the first like, peewee team i played on was the blackhawks um so i bought one of those but they were like sized to wear as like a shirt so like i I never got to you know i never got to wear it over gear or anything gotcha now you know once seattle gets the team are you gonna jump ship and become a kraken fan or are you gonna still stay true to your flyers i mean i'm going to be wearing the kraken colors for like you know, 70 or what is it? Is it 80 out of the 82 games? But when the Flyers come to town, I'm going to be in bright orange every time. OK, cool, cool. I'll, I'll take the beer that's going to get dumped on my head. That's fine. <laughs> no, nah, I'm sure the, the Seattle fans will be pretty chill to start, at least. I mean, weed's legal here, so hopefully. <laughs> now, um, are you also a Seattle Thunderbirds fan? Uh, so. I, yeah, I've been to a bunch of Thunderbirds games. I have a a bit of a love hate relationship with the with the Thunderbirds. Um, my so my like youth association, where we, we were the Junior Thunderbirds. So I wore like you know Junior Thunderbirds jerseys for like eight years. Um, I go to games occasionally. I'm not a like a avid follower, mostly because when I was like 23, I went to a game. And I looked at the birth dates of all the players and they were all younger than me. And I just thought, like, what the hell happened to my career? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, obviously, Tom and I are, are New York Islander fans and our superstar on our team played for the, 
for the Thunderbirds. So it's just cool to actually talk with someone from from that area and who actually knows who the Seattle Thunderbirds are. Dude, it's it's wild. I mean, it's the Thunderbirds used to play in the Key Arena, which is like where the the Sonics used to play. Um, obviously, they wouldn't sell it out because it was like a you know twenty four thousand person arena or whatever. Uh, but now they play in an arena that's like six thousand cap, um, which a day to remember actually played at this arena uh, on one of their last tours. Um, so they they do they get pretty close to selling it out. It's uh it's a fun time. Sweet. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think, like, Seattle just has, like, this place in my heart, and I've never even stepped foot there. And, like, I don't even know when I'll ever get to Seattle, but, you know, Tom and I grew up just loving Gatsby's American Dream. And, like, ever since then, like, I just think Seattle's such a cool place, man. So I'm a little jealous. It's funny how you how you get kind of that association with another city because of, you know, because of music. like. You know, New York is a similar thing for me because there's so many bands from New York that I grew up listening to. I mean, like I was a big From Autumn to Ashes fan. Um, you know, Glassjaw was huge for me growing up. You know, obviously Taking Back Sunday, being a you know a person in a pop punk band, Taking Back Sunday was a you know, a huge deal for me. Yeah, even though they're mostly North Carolinians, we were actually talking about that. Are they really long. now? Oh, well, just in- always always yeah adam grew up in north carolina uh john nolan lived on long island and i think eddie did too yeah yeah they they, they did uh, like the rest of the like taking back sunday guys for the most part but it's just like i don't know i i have the like i love taking back sunday i and i think musically you know every record they write you know gets gets a little bit more interesting and they uh they kind of are pushing forward in terms of like boundary, but I just, I don't know. Just like, I, like I can't like pinpoint his voice, but he does this like weird voice. He's like, Hey, like, it's like, it's like, it's like, how do I do it? I'm going to try to do it. Uh, he's like, he's like, uh, Hey, like this song is a, as a song. I like is a song. And it's just like, what are you Oh, in between songs? Yeah. I saw I went to the East Coast Warp Tour date last year and I saw that I know exactly what you're talking about. It was like, so weird. It doesn't like I, I I can't place it anywhere. Like it has nothing to do with the South. It has nothing to do with like the Northeast. It's just like this weird like voice that he does and he like like the, I I I hear it and it's like one of the reasons like I can't listen to that like really cool um like acoustic record they did um uh, or- Orange Sands, it's uh, like the one they did in this church, and like the songs are great, but like every time he talks, he's just like, "Hey, let's get a little simmer going. Let's get a let's get a little clappy simmer." And I'm just like, "Well, like I'm like, why are you talking like that?" But I don't. I just I don't know. I don't. I, I can't kind of place it. Uh, but uh, a great band though. I mean, and they're one of those <laughs> bands. And but they are they're one of those bands though that like um, every time I've seen Taking Back Sunday, like they've oh they. Like they're good, they're tight. Um, they're like musically good. They always put on a good show. I feel like as you get older in your in your in like your life as a band, and like the 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 best now example I can give is like the Wonder Years. So like I've seen the Wonder Years more times than I could count. They're like they really are one of my favorite bands, and I just saw them recently. 
um, just a couple of months ago when they came through on their like um, kind of like half acoustic, half electric tour. But like, yeah. like I remember seeing the Wonder Years like to the point where like Dan Campbell like couldn't get through a set singing because he would blow his voice out and like the band just wouldn't gel and the rhythm section was terrible. And it was like, ugh, like, I'll just listen to these guys on record. But, like, as you get older and as you realize that, like, this is really your career, like, a lot of bands just get hundreds of percent better. And the Wonder Years are one of those bands. Like, every time I see them now, I'm like, these guys are super professional, super talented, like, unbelievably precise. And it's just like, Taking Back Sunday gives me that same feeling. Because, you know, when I had first seen them, they were, you know, a sloppy you know, punky emo band, but now they're just like completely on the level. And I think that a lot of bands that have that longevity um, realize that and then just like hammer away at getting their set immaculate, you know? For sure. Um, you know, it's funny that you talk about getting better as you get older, because uh, I was just thinking about when I saw Glassjaw at Warp Tour Mm -hmm. Um, my girlfriend had never seen them before, or I'd never even heard of Blast Job before. Uh, and like we were talking about earlier, live, they kind of just do whatever they want. Like yeah, they, they riff on their, it. they riff on their own songs a ton. Like, you know, they'll, you know, they're, they're going through and they play Ape Dose Meal kinda. Yeah. yeah. But then, but then they also do a bunch of weird shit and there's like, like, I fuck with it. it it's cool to me, but I, I definitely remember like looking over and my girlfriend was like kind of squinting, staring at the stage, like trying to understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I told her, like, well, I'm going to play you some of these songs in the car afterwards. And like, you'll you'll hear that it's they're doing something weird on stage. Yeah. And so and, like and, I, I played her some songs and she's like, wait, this is great. What what were they doing on stage? I'm like, I don't know. They've just been around so long. They don't give a shit and they can do whatever they want. Yeah. And <laughs> which is that I mean that that totally fits with their uh you know with, with their aesthetic they uh yeah, exactly it really they've does. never been a band to do what they what the fans want they do what they think is cool yeah and 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 we were we were talking about it before we, we started going live but it's like it really is just like the the like daryl and beck show like starring like whoever wants to be in glass jaw um, yeah. you know kind of deal uh which is which is kind of cool so i do have just um uh, one quick question for you, uh, and then I do want to hear your minus the bear story because I love oh, minus yeah. the bear. But um, so, uh, assuming that uh, you know the the expansion draft is going to kind of operate the same way that uh, they did for Vegas, um, you don't even have to go super in depth. But like, if you can name like three players that are on your radar that you think Seattle can feasibly get, because obviously, like you know. No one's getting OV or Crosby or, you know, but like three like impact players that you think you guys can feasibly get if you could name them off and, and you know, who you think would be good to build around. Damn, that's a good one. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to start with on the Flyers roster because those are people that, that's the team that I know the most about. Um, sure. I would say that. In the next couple of years, it you know the Flyers might be willing to get rid of Claude Giroux. Um, I don't think that that's like a super obvious. You know they're not going to keep him around, but Claude Giroux has been declining. Like he, he has not been putting up the numbers that he is 
getting paid to put up. And the Flyers have a really deep like second line and third line. And so they've got some players that are going to come up and take his spot and who already are. So I, that's like my long shot. Like, you know, maybe the Flyers decide they need to save some cap room and they don't, you know, they don't restrict him. Sure. Um, outside of that, I would say uh, JVR. So James Van Riemsdyk might be available. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a player that the Flyers going to keep around. Um, yeah. But he has been clutch in the playoffs multiple times he's been you know he's he's not the young kid he uh you know i remember from 10 years ago he's been around the block uh, a minute yeah and maybe tj oshi um i'm not i'm hmm. also not convinced that the fly or that the uh was he on the caps now yep Is he still on the caps? So. yeah i think um, so yeah, I'm not convinced that he is going to be a player that they're going to you know that they're going to lock down. And he grew up in Seattle. So I think that would be a player you know, that that would make sense because he played on like the competing association to the one sure. that I played on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be kind of like, you know, a homecoming for him. That seems like a, a pretty natural transition. Sure. So so Mikey, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how I've never asked you this question, but. I mean, you know, obviously, like I said, assuming the draft is going to go the same way and there's going to be someone from each team that's going to be kind of plucked out, uh, who do you think, you know, the Islanders are not going to protect, therefore leaving them open? I hope you guys enjoy Andrew Ladd. I mean, that is that, that's, that is that's definitely what they want to do. Or, or Johnny Boychuk. Like, or Boychuk, yeah. I feel like those are two like contracts that are are going to look worse and worse th- as the years go by. For sure. I mean, didn't um I mean it was uh Vegas ended up taking Barube, right? That's I think who they Yeah, but he it was just kind of like one of those moves where like the Islanders actually gave draft picks for them to take him. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, true. Dude, if yeah. the, I mean, if the expansion draft rules stay the same, we're going to have a, you know, Stanley cup contending team on year one. Like it was pretty stacked for the golden Knights. They came out swinging right at, you know, year one. Absolutely. They did, man. And I mean, and they, you know, they ended up, um, you know, I mean, and it's such a, it's such an interesting way that they do it. It's just like, you know, essentially like you get to your team gets to pick like, 10 people that they think are superstars and then everybody else, I think with the exception of like uh, some guys that don't have like a certain amount of ice time are, are fair game. And it just like gives like all of these possibilities of like how you could build your team. And I just wonder like what, like the war rooms are like, like how these guys are sitting around being like, okay, like we want this guy. We want this guy. Like how does this guy fit into our scheme? Like we need a, you know, a, a playmaker, we need like a, a two-way guy. I, I I just think that's so cool. I really do. So I'm hoping that uh, that expansion draft for you guys is uh, is something cool because uh, I, I'm stoked that you guys are getting a hockey franchise because, you know, the uh, the, the Seahawks are, you know, are, are, are a great team. Uh, and the Mariners, of course, have been, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, not good for yeah. <laughs> That was no diplomatic way to say that. I mean, other than like, you know, the, the Griffey years and all this stuff, it was just, uh, it's been we, rough. And then it was, rel- it was you know, 19 years since we made the playoffs. I think it was a 2001 
season where we had yeah. 116 wins. I don't think we made the playoffs since then. Yeah. And I, and, and I mean, it's tough because, um, you know, and then, you know, you guys lost the supersonics, which was a, a really rough thing. And, uh, but you know, having hockey there, man, it's, I hope it revitalizes, you know, people, people loving sports over there again. So, uh, as we wrap this up, uh, like I said, I don't want to get out of here without hearing your minus the bear story. Cause I love a good story. So, uh, floor is yours, man. Have at it. Cool. So minus the bear has been one of my favorite bands for as long as I can remember listening to, you know, kind of underground music. Um, I first found them, uh, when they put out highly refined pirates and just yeah. been just like infatuated ever since just something about the fact that they're like a rock band that came, you know, multiple dudes came from, all right. I think it's just the, one of the guitars came from botch. Botch, so yeah, like, for sure. So like dudes from the hardcore scene that switched genres, like that's exactly what I did. So it, it always, you know, it's always like connected with me. Um, but so the first time that I saw Minus the Bear was uh, on one of the weirdest tours ever. It was a Thursday headliner, like Thursday the band. Okay. Um, the number 12 looks like you was the direct support. And then minus the bear played before them. That's wild. That's that a is wild a thing. weird fucking lineup. Sure is. Um, so I saw minus the bear two or three times. Um, like I just, I never. They, they were always one of those bands that I loved, but I never really had like a dying urge to see. Like mm-hmm. their live show, it was good. But I, you know, in high school and college, I listened to way more heavy music. So minus the bear was kind of like the chill band that I listened to and didn't really think about all that much um so being a seattle band when they announced their final tour um they announced that they were playing at the showbox at the market which is one of like the seattle staple venues mm-hmm. um, they announced the tour first date sold out instantly um so they announced two more dates saturday and sunday um after I saw that the first date sold out, I like line, you know, I got ready online to buy a yep. ticket to go see the second date. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my ticket to go see the second date. Psyched. Um, everything was going to be, you know, it was going to be a great night. It was all, everything was going to go according to plan. But then we got a tour offer. <laughs> and so oh, we damn. ended up going on tour right when the Minus the Bear final tour uh, was happening. Um, and we missed, we like passed by them a couple times. So I think we had one, it was like, they played San Francisco when we played like, you know, Southern Oregon. And then they played Portland when we played San Francisco. So like, <laughs> I, we did, we literally like drove past each other on the highway. You definitely did. Uh, and I kept trying to figure out like, okay, how the fuck am I going to see this band? Like. I am going to like, do I need to fly somewhere? Like how, you know, are we going to cancel a show? What's going to be, what's (laughs) going to happen? Um, so lucky enough, we ended up having a show fall through in, um, I think it was in like Flagstaff, Arizona. Okay. Um, which was on Saturday, like the day that I had tickets to go see them. Um, so on, like Saturday morning, I took a I took an Uber from our buddy's house that we were staying at in Phoenix. I went to the airport. Uh, I flew home, took a train to uh, my girlfriend's 
like company winter like or company Christmas party. Uh, so I hung out with them for like you know a couple hours, got free dinner, and then went to uh, went to see Minus the Bear. Saw the show, spent the night at my girlfriend's house. Afterwards, the next morning, I at like six a.m. I took another Uber back to the airport, flew into Vegas to meet back up with the tour. Um, so I was in Seattle for 18 hours to go see Minus the Bear on their you know, second to last Seattle date ever. Um, so that is my I like Minus the Bear more than you story. <laughs> that is unbelievable. That is like <laughs> that's some crazy dedication for sure. Like I didn't even miss a date. I made it back to the tour. Everything was fine. <laughs> that is crazy. Wow. So I guess, you know, we've been chatting for over an hour, Daniel, and it's been so much fun. And like, you know, I I can't stop raving to everyone who is willing to listen about the home team because you guys just do pop punk. Right. And that's my my shit, man. Like, I that's my genre. So thank you. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun chatting with you. And uh, if I ever make it out to Seattle, we'll catch a game. We'll go to the Angry Beaver. Right. That's the hell. Yeah, that's the hockey bar in Seattle. I only know that because uh, we actually have an Isles meetup group in Seattle. So, oh, no shit. Yeah. So they they're a group of Islander fans that get together to watch games. So once they get a team, we'll definitely head out there and you'll see a shit ton of blue and orange and we'll go to Angry Beaver and we'll have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. If you guys make it out here, you all got a got a place to stay. Crash in my house. Awesome. Appreciate Appreciate that, brother. Hell yeah. Let's uh let's do another one when uh when our next record comes out. Hell yeah. Totally down. Put it on the books, man. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Cool. Thank you guys. Take care. good dude you know just seattle just thinking about like all the all the cool things over there and how i've never been there and uh dude wait hold me on out you know just... you brought up this hard drive that you found with all like this like vintage music that you and i used to love and you yeah. were like dude you remember kane hotter weren't they a seattle yeah. band Ooh, Kane Hodder, man. Ooh, I don't know, dude. I'm looking. Was that, that one thing they did? Was it K I S S O or K I L L? Right. Yeah, I think yeah. that was Kane Hodder. Oh yeah, it was. Kane Hodder, man. Yeah, I could. I, I mean, I won't talk about this a whole ton, but I did find 
a um I did definitely find this crazy old hard drive that had a ton of music on it. Bands like I've never even thought of or heard of in like a long, long time. I still haven't gone through it all, but like bands like I don't even remember listening to. I found I, I, on this on this hard drive, but super cool, man. I'm gonna go through it. It's probably gonna spark my interest in some of these bands again. But uh, uh, one of the first bands I t- took a look at was a Static Lullaby, and I hadn't listened to them in like ten years. I don't know if anyone out there remembers them, but um, some of the stuff holds up, some of the stuff doesn't really hold up. But uh, but um, I don't know, man. It's super cool. I I I, always, I, I live for this kind of stuff. Just uh, I'm a music nerd, so I I dig it. And just to fact check, even though we never do this, Kane Hodder is from Bremerton, Washington, or Bremerton. Bre- oh, okay. Brem- Bremerton. Bremerton. Yeah. Bremerton. Yeah. Okay. So they're so they're from around there. That's pretty cool, man. I didn't I didn't know that. Um, I'm always bad with knowing where where bands come from, man. Like it's uh, I always think that they're from like some place and they're not from that place whatsoever. Um, but uh, you know, yeah. I, yeah, we can't all be scholars, you know? <laughs> Touche. Well, I guess talking about scholars, and I, I guess we can talk about the fact that LIU, Long Island University, just announced today that they are going to have a men's Division One hockey team now. Really? Yeah, so I know, like, on a few episodes ago, you were always like, yeah, like, New York isn't huge in college, especially college hockey. And and you are correct, but it's pretty yeah. sweet that Long Island University is now going to have a Division One hockey team, and not like Division One club, like a legit Division One hockey team that can like go and play in the Frozen Four if if they make it that far. That is awesome, man. I, I think that's a great thing. I mean, you know, it's uh, Long Island. It's just one of those places, man, where it's like there's a lot going on. It's you know densely populated kind of deal, but you know. There's a there's just hockey in, in, in a lot of people's bloods there, you know, just from being Islander fans and, and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's there. Uh, so it's cool to know that, you know, that's finally getting recognized and there's a you know university that's willing to take the, the chance and, and develop a, you know, a D one a D one build and do it. So I'm I'm super stoked for that, man. I, I, I did not know that, but now that I know that, I'm I'm definitely gonna look into it and read more about it and follow them when it's all all, all starting up. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, because they're going to start in this next, like, coming season. Like, it's that quick that mm, wow. it makes me wonder if they're going to play their games at the Coliseum. Because, like, the Islanders will be moving into Belmont and the Coliseum will just kind of yeah. be there. So it'd be cool if LIU started playing their games at the Coliseum. And God, I would hope and I pray that they move the Bridgeport Sound Tigers to the Coliseum. I mean that like that, that makes sense. You know, that really does make sense. It, it does. I mean, like, you know, you could do that and you know, you could just, you can even keep calling the sound tigers and just call, I don't know. Like, what would you call them? Like the long Island sound tigers or something? I don't know, but why just, not? You yeah. know, like, I mean, it would be, it would be great for the Island. And I mean, it would be, you know, since I mean, people just don't want to go to Bridgeport. It's a yucky place to go. Well, it seems remember, like it would be, be on the level. You remember that one night where we all decided to take the ferry over to go to a game? That was that was actually kind of fun. It was a lot of fun, but you know, Bridgeport is is, is not not the best place in the universe. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know that that ferry ride is super cool. 
I mean, and don't get me wrong, you know, the, the Sound Tigers, even though they're they're not really competitive, I mean, the arena is nice. Um, you know, it was, you know, good lines of sight wherever you sat. I mean, you know, it was cool. I just don't think that the people of Connecticut really like switched over and became like Islander fans because of that. Like I, oh, I think yeah. that's what their their initial like goal was when they built the Sound Tigers. Like, oh, we can like try to tap into the Connecticut market and, and convert people to be Islander fans. But yeah. I don't think that ever happened. And like the Sound Tigers are always at the bottom of attendance. Like they have a hard time yeah. drawing and it, it's just I don't know. I, I think it would be awesome if they did move them to Long Island and like even if they move them to Suffolk, Suffolk County somewhere. I, I, I don't know. But ha- having this news with Long Island University, there's like th- there's just a lot of, you know, moving pieces. Maybe one day LIU wants to build their own arena. That would be like, you know, like a 5,000, 6,000 cap arena that, you know, the Sound Tigers could play in, too, because I hate to say it. Absolutely. The Coliseum would look really bad with 4,000 people in it to watch them. I agree. I agree. You're absolutely right. But I, 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 I it ju- the news just broke like a couple of hours ago, and I was like, oh, let's oh, wow. let's talk about that. And it's cool because the the closest college hockey team is probably like Fairfield, Connecticut. Yeah, and, and you know who's gonna go there? Like Princeton to go to a Prince? Like who's gonna drive to Princeton to watch college hockey? So yeah. no, you're absolutely right. I mean, so I I think it's I think it's going to be a good thing for for all involved. And I mean, the nice thing, like I said, is it gives uh, you know, it gives Long Islanders another reason to you know to to fall back in love with hockey, which is you know, and great thing for sure. And there are like really solid like triple A hockey teams on Long Island, like the the uh, Long Island Royals who are okay i think they were at one point coached by pat lafontaine like they are are a very competitive triple a team that goes and plays like sure schools and not schools but teams in boston area teams in canada and like do well against them so like it'd be cool if some like hometown talent stayed on long island and played college hockey on long island and then who knows like makes it to the nhl It, it would be cool more more uh, Long Island kids in the NHL. Absolutely, I, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, right. Exactly. More Long Island kids, we can get the better. You know, I think we. What do we just have? We got one, right? What's his name? Sonny Milano. There's a few. So, so we we uh we have an interview coming up with uh, Nick from Chief State, and we talk about the Canucks and and Sutter's kid is on the Canucks. That's right. Yeah, he's from Long yeah. Island. He's from Long Island. Yeah, that's right. No, you're you're right, man. I uh I I let that. I let that slide off of my brain, man. I didn't realize that. <laughs> but yeah, you're you the yang to my yang, man. Yeah, I try. So you know, the home <laughs> team, Dan. Awesome interview. Love talking Seattle music. Love being able to like just daydream about the the new Seattle franchise. And yeah, for sure. you know that West Coast trip is something on my bucket list. Like I want to do it so bad. Like it would be cool to even do like. The Northern California, where you go like San Jose, yep, and then hop up to to Seattle, and then hop up to Vancouver, like that. Yeah, that could sure. be a, a nice. And I mean, trip. even though Portland, yeah, 
even though Portland doesn't have hockey, like I'd love to go to Portland as well, just because like I hear it's such a cool place to go. So, and that's right in the Pacific Northwest belt up there, you know. Absolutely, yeah. So, it was really cool to talk with Dan. I love the home team. I, I really just, I, I think that they are going to be the the next big band, you know, coming up. And uh, it it was a blast chatting with him. And uh, you know, I guess we could wrap this up tommy boy so <laughs> i don't think i've ever called you tommy boy but i might start yeah tommy like wingy you know <laughs> yeah man um so are we still doing our our like little like out segment yeah like, so I, we, I just... totally, we totally forgot on the last episode so i just threw some maxiel in because maxiel's awesome and i know that we both like maxiel is awesome yeah so i'm i have one that i want to do today um just because i've been listening to this new album a, a lot and uh, they're kind of one of these bands that like they're um, they're pro- really kind of right on like the precipice of like breaking into like the the big time and just kind of jumping over that line. But uh, Hot Mulligan, man, uh, they just put out uh, this awesome record called You'll Be Fine um, uh, on No Sleep Records. And uh, they got the song called Equip Sunglasses that like they put out this like hilarious music video for where they just keep equipping sunglasses onto themselves. Uh but dude, these guys are great. I mean, you know, the musicality, uh, the raw emotion, uh, all that kind of stuff, man. They're just a great, great, you know, kind of um, pop punky emo indie band. I don't know what you'd call them, but I love them. So I want to lead out with them. So again, uh, Quip Sunglasses from You'll Be Fine, Hot Mulligan, awesome band. I uh, just put out their record, um, I think, March of uh, this year. So just uh, uh, last month. But uh, as always... Um, you know, we appreciate you listening to these episodes. Uh, we've, um, really, really super fortunate to get to do them. So, uh, you know, go ahead and, and go to bardownbreakdown.com. It's going to have all of our episodes. You can listen to them. You can stream them on your favorite streaming platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, what have you. Um, you can get, uh, you know, me at Thomas underscore Vicario, Mikey at, uh, Isles Meetup CLT. I think I, some days I get it right. Some days I don't. Uh, you'll have to yell at me if it's not right, but, uh, um, BDBD podcast bar down breakdown. You can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, interact with us. Tell us if you like what we're doing. If you want to hear us, uh, stop babbling so much on our intros and outros, you're not going to get that opportunity because this is our time to shine. And, uh, we appreciate you guys. We really do. We love doing this and we love, uh, you know, that you're, you're listening. And on that note, um, you know, keep on listening because we're going to keep on churning some stuff out for you. Ain't that right, sir? I just want the record to show that Tom thought that like a a band to showcase in this last segment who also gets 200,000 monthly streams. Like, I think they've already made it, Tom. Yeah, well, you know, if they get an extra stream (laughs) or two from from us, then, you know, I'll I'll accept my royalties check. I I totally love Hot Mulligan, so I'll let it stick. So I just wanted to to make fun of you because you're old. To chirp me? You're chirping me, man. I love it. But anyways, um, as we like to do, Mikey, yep, I'll let peace you, be with you. I'll let you go. Peace be with you, my friend. <laughs> Dude, and also with you. Get on a bike when it's naked tonight.